Good morning, dear saints, and Lenten blessings. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Tuesday, February 20th, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Last time we were together, Moses, in anger over the golden calf incident and the apostasy of Israel, broke the tablets upon which God had written the Ten Commandments. Today we open up chapter 10, where Moses recounts the dramatic moment when God calls him back up the mountain. Here, God will re-inscribe the shattered tablets of the Ten Commandments, restoring the broken covenant with Israel. But this chapter offers more than just a new set of laws. It reveals the Israelites' struggle with obedience and God's unwavering desire for a relationship with His chosen people. Whether it's over the air, online at kfuo.org, as a podcast, or using the KFUO app, no matter how you're joining us this morning, I'm so glad you're here. You're the reason we're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes books that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven, so when you get a moment, visit them online at lhfmissions.org to learn more. And if you have a question or comment about today's show, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, or you can phone in 1-800-730-2727. Joining us this morning to help us open up Deuteronomy 10, it's the Reverend John Shank. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Good morning, Pastor Shank, and welcome back to the program. Good morning. It's always a a joy and a blessing, great honor to be on, and uh, looking forward to our discussions once again today as we as we hear about God's uh, grace and His mercy in the in the face of our waywardness and uh, and the history of God's people um, to receive the mercy of God. It's uh, it's a wonderful reflection, especially in this time of of year and time of uh, time of Lent. Yeah, and and that really what it is really exactly what you said is what is happening here. It is God's mercy in the face of our own rebellion. Um, that's something we cling to even to today. I tell you what, why don't we open with a word of prayer, if you'd lead us in that, and then we'll just dive right in. Yes, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, by our sinful actions, we offend your righteous and holy name. The desires of our hearts continually turn us from you to fulfill our own passions. Lead us by your Holy Spirit to listen to you alone. And so hear of your gracious mercies sown to our fathers of old and to us today, so that with circumcised hearts we would follow your Son always in true faith and to honor you in all that we say and do. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, I already covered it just very briefly, but why don't you take us through just a a recap of chapter 9, where we see that, well, God is leading them into the promised land, not because of their own righteousness, but because of the wickedness of the people they are dispossessing. But then Moses recalls that golden calf incident. Boy, I that's just such a, a blemish on their history. Yeah, you said it. 
right? So um, it is a temptation. Maybe I'll take it in a, a different direction slightly, but it is a different, a definite temptation to think that the things that we have and what we have been given somehow comes from our goodness, our right, something unique in us. Like God does these things because of of us, and we then can look down at the people around us who do not have or uh, who may be undergoing different circumstances and see that uh, see that the distinction lies within us instead of in God and in his mercy. So God does this for the people. He reminds them it's not. You are entering into the promised land because I promised it to you, to your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am one who keeps my promise. Uh, that that should reassure us that God is one who keeps his promises in spite in spite of their waywardness, he's going to keep his promises. And uh, he reminds them of their waywardness. You're, you're right that Moses was on, on the mountain in that uh, time of great uh, fire and, uh, and uh, sounds of thunder and his presence. God was present with Moses on the mountain. And even there, when God was present with Moses on the mountain, the people had wandered off. Uh, physically, they stood there, but they were definitely far from him to the point of desiring to be like the other nations, even the nation from which they were just rescued. They were saved, uh, delivered from slavery, from Egypt, and now they desire to uh, build a golden calf and uh, to worship before it. At, um, and so they do, and God's anger is kindled. And yet, and yet, um, even when he tells Moses, I'm going to, I'm going to take you and I'll make you into a great nation an even greater nation. And I'll do all these things. I'll do it through, through you. Uh, Moses intercedes. He intercedes for the people. He lays uh, prostrate before the Lord. He prays, he fasts, uh, and God relents over the disaster. And, um, not only the people as a collective are saved, but, uh, Aaron is also saved. Uh, so uh, God listens, and he, uh, he acts upon a relationship of grace and mercy, and so he does. And, and, and so Moses is coming to our chapter, com coming to the chapter that we're going to discuss. He's reflecting back upon that fact, back on God's mercy, so that they would be reminded of this. And and uh, to turn from that waywardness, turn from that stiff neck, turn from the arrogance and pridefulness of thinking, look at us. We're even better than our parents even. I mean, there's one thing to think that we're better than the other nations. And there's an, another thing, too, to think that we're better than the generations that came before. All of this, all of what you receive is all because of God's grace. And that's also true for us, right? Every beat of our heart, every breath that we take, none of that um, is because of our righteousness or anything that uh, is in us, only God's grace. If uh, the Lord would take away from me my, my beating heart and I would die, it was, it's not because God has done anything wrong. Um, sin. I have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And because of sin, sin singular, which from it came from the fall of man, all of my individual sins come from. Um, and from that sin of Adam and Eve came death. And that death comes down to all of us. We need God's grace. 
And he answers that all in his son. Um, none of us deserved Jesus. None of us earned Jesus. We all receive the promised land of everlasting life only because of his grace and mercy. And so he's reminding the people of that as he leads us into our chapter. Yeah, and it's such a juxtaposition in the last chapter where he says, look, you know, God is going to destroy them and subdue these nations before you because of their unrighteousness. And then Moses leads into getting the Ten Commandments, which sets them apart. Then he leans into their own rebellion. And, and so I just wanted to bring up one more thing. He says in uh, chapter 9, verse 17, so I took hold of the two tablets and I threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. And then he goes on to, as you said, lay prostrate before Yahweh again, 40 days, 40 nights. He destroys these tablets. And, and the reason why I wanted to direct our attention back to that before we get into our text is because that's the problem right now. He doesn't have the tablets and he's going to be going back up the mountain. Um, we talked about this, but I just want to ask you, what is Moses's culpability here in breaking these tablets? Is this righteous indignation against the rebellious people, or is this him pitching a fit? I, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> as, I, as Growing up, when I heard this story, I would just kind of go back and forth in my mind because sometimes I would think, well, here it is written by the hand of God. It, it appears that, that breaking the tablets is the last thing you want to do. It's not as though the covenant is over. But is that what it's representing? I mean, I don't I don't know. What do you think? And this is unfair for me to ask. What do you think's going through Moses's head? <laughs> yeah, we can <laughs> analyze him. And, uh, right. But yeah, I think it's a wonderful question. It's um, it doesn't seem to, to receive chastisement from the Lord. Um, how could you have broken these or you did something wrong? Um, but it seems like it's almost brought on by uh, God's judgment against the people. You have broken it. And it lies broken before you. And now what you have broken needs to be reestablished. And even that then becomes God's grace. Uh, God's grace in in giving the commandments, giving uh, the uh, the covenant again um, that they had broken while while it was being written. Um, uh, yeah. So I I think it is it is very interesting, and none of us can do any action, you know, can this action of Moses be without sin? Uh, no, uh, um, everything that we do uh, is um, ha has the effects of our sin upon it because we are fallen people. We're, we're not Jesus. Um, so was, uh, was uh, any part of that a wrong? I, I don't know if he's wrong in the action, but in his heart, I don't know if there was some pridefulness there. I don't know if there was a sense of, uh, uh, of trying to s separate or distance himself from the people. But it seems that then in the end, he doesn't. He doesn't distance himself from them. And he, he um, takes on the role of, uh, of standing uh, before the Lord for them. Uh, so, yeah, it's a very... Um, you know, you try, like you said, you try to kind of think of yourself as that person or mm -hmm. what would, would I do? Or maybe in a different circumstance where people are acting poorly as a pastor, when they act poorly, what should I do? Should I stand up and be angry? The Lord has commanded us not to do these things. <laughs> you know, and then when you do those kind of things and you're like, this needs to stop today, you know? And then they're like, why did our pastor lose his? This is temper. Like, that's wrong. Like, wait a second. I should be angry at this action. And then it's like, well, no, I shouldn't. 
lose myself. I shouldn't lose control. Like I, I have to be patient and, you know, so yeah, it's, it is, it definitely is interesting to think yourself in that position. But uh, again, I, the only thing I can do is go and let scripture be my guide. And it doesn't seem like, uh, and you can correct me um, there. Moses ever is chastised for, for doing this. No, that's my conclusion too. I mean, God doesn't chastise him, as you say. He doesn't punish him or anything like that. It definitely feels like a turning over the tables, whips kind of moment. And with Moses being a type of Christ, you know, I don't think he could have done it sinlessly, but I think the act itself is certainly spurned right. by indignation. Let's put it that way. And, and we know it's righteous because he's. I guess he's defending God in a way, not that God needs defense. And so that's where you wrestle with it. It's just an interesting question. Today, though, when we get to chapter 10, which is right now, I'm going to read the first five verses, uh, and this will be from the English Standard Version. At that time, Yahweh said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two tablets of stone like the first and went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before the Ten Commandments that Yahweh had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And Yahweh gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are, as Yahweh commanded me. So this so far is kind of the rest of the story. He's called back up the mountain and he has to cut two new tablets. Uh, there's some interesting perspectives and positions out there that perhaps these were made of sapphire or something like that. It's it's interesting to dig into that, although <laughs> not definitive. Uh, but what we do know is that, yeah, before this even happens, he lies prostrate before the Lord another 40 days and 40 nights. So this is after his pleading with the Lord, his calling upon the Lord to remember the covenant. And God says, yeah, come on up. I'll redo it. You know, it, it God doesn't say, nope, you had your chance, you blew it, and uh, that's it, that's it, here comes another flood, but he, he doesn't. He says, all right, come on back up. God often, um, and I mean this in the most holiest way, condescends to us. You know, he has to come down to us to reach us because we're just poor, miserable sinners, we're just creatures after all. Yeah, and he calls us into that kind of relationship with him, right? Where um, where we would go back to his word and say, this is what you said, right? And I'm going to hold on to it, and I'm going to put it before you. And I know we have broken it. I know we, we have sinned, but you are not like us. You are different than us. And so with um, last chapter, that's um, kind of where... Um, Moses is and and where we lead into our chapter where he calls on him to understand who who you are Lord and for your name's sake don't do this for for your for your remembrance on the for um, uh, amongst the nations don't do this and so God calls on us to to, to do that in in our prayers too um, to uh, pray to the Lord, to remember his covenant, to forgive us our sins on the account of Christ and to be bold 
to be bold upon uh, upon our prayers to to ask for such forgiveness um, to to remind him that we are your people um, and not to turn from us but to keep your promise um, so yeah it's it's uh, a lot like what we do um, as we hear and um, from Joel as we begin Ash Wednesday uh, to call uh, for a fast. Um, gather everyone up a, a solemn assembly and and to gather all the people uh with uh fasting and with uh weeping and mourning uh, rend your hearts and not your garments all, all this uh put on sackcloth and ashes and so there there should be i mean i think when we see all this and it's always lying prostrate before the lord all these days and it seems so strange but maybe we're the strange ones you know, when when the scriptures seem alien to us in the action that we see God's people doing, maybe we should have some humility and say, well, maybe, maybe we're not, maybe we're not taking our sins as seriously as we should. And maybe we should be called back into a right relationship with the Lord by some humility on our end. Not that our fasting earns his forgiveness and not that, no, but it's about being in relationship with a God and understanding that our relationship is solely, solely because he offers it and he gives it solely because he gave of his only son, solely because he purchased and won us by his blood, solely because the covenant is something that he does and we receive. And we desire not the fact that our hearts are wayward and that we are weak and that uh, the Lord would see the weakness of our sins, um, but that he would cover them in Christ. So, yeah, I think uh, I think the actions here of, of Moses reminds us that we are to be a people of a priesthood, a, a holy nation, and that as uh, priests before the Lord, his New Testament people, his covenant people in Christ, that we should be praying for our neighbor. Lord, don't look at their sins. Often we want the Lord to see their sins, see what they did to me, right? Get them, Lord. And it's like, no, no, we should be doing the opposite. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Um, as you have forgiven me my sins, forgive, cover that up. Uh, restore them, O Lord. Um, and uh, and to be more um, more humble as as Moses was humble here. Do you make anything of the fact that this time around, God says, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first? Whereas when we read in Exodus 32, it says the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So it looks like that God himself provided the tablets to begin with, but now he's saying cut for yourself tablets. Do you make anything of that? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, I would love to know more. I'd love to fully understand if if this would be should be taking more or if when he's because even here with with these with the tablets and then the next verse with the um, the ark and uh, it continues to appear that it's like Moses made the ark. Well, it seems like in in Exodus, no, Moses didn't make the ark. So are we to understand these things that Moses is kind of like the owner and then he has foremen and then there are workers, you know, you have this like flow. It's even like with um, uh, Solomon, you know, Solomon built the temple. But did he really lay the foundation? Did he really, right, did he right. really get out the hammer? Did he really uh, pull up his sleeves? Is, is Moses doing, and I'm, I'm not trying to, 
crowd create doubt, but I'm trying to point out that there are times in which the scriptures talk in a way that he is responsible. He's responsible for this. And then that work is continued out. Like uh, the, the two men that um, are called to, because they're skilled in the uh, artwork and uh, in crafting of metals and crafting of the fabrics, right? Uh, that's what uh, Exodus 31 um, so if you look back, you can see that, but ultimately Moses is responsible because he's the one who's been given the word. Then he hands down the word. And then I think it's, I don't know, you have to, people are going to have to just can, keep reading in Exodus 31. I think it's like 36, 35, 36 or seven, where it talks about even them had workers under them too. So, um, you, you get this understanding too, but here it feels like your questions lead me in not trying to deal with the contra apparent possible contradiction which it's not a contradiction um actually no not at all that wasn't even my thoughts but i I love how you i love how you went in that direction because it's certainly something someone's thinking about i was thinking a little more like uh, the the relationship's a a little less intimate all of a sudden you know now it's it's you know moses you you have to do something you have to work for you have to demonstrate something Uh, again i i don't know that that's explicit in the text it's just sort of an interesting thought and, and so it is sounds it like, less intimate or is it more? You mean like now you're going to have to get your hands dirty here. Like now I want you to mm. do this. Like, is he drawing him more into it or farther from it? Like it seems to be, I don't know. I guess I take yeah, the like sense that. that it's more like um, I, I like how you say how God comes down. God comes down to us and he uses Moses to write the Pentateuch, the the first five books of the Bible, right? The Torah. He uses Matthew, Mark, Luke, John to write, right? He could have just said, here's an angel. Here you go. Here's what I've written from far away from you. But he uses. And then it kind of reminds us then, right? That he uses the flesh and blood of his son in such an intimate way to save us, to bear our sins and be our savior. So I would say maybe there's a way, and I'm not saying that the scriptures, I don't know, I'm just thinking, right? Um, Maybe there's a way for us to see it as more intimate than less. That's interesting. I like that perspective. Now, it also sounds like that you take Ark to mean the Ark of the Covenant. I know not all scholars look at that. Some people right. think that in this instance, it's just another box, you know, because that's yeah. the word there, Ark, Aron, uh, it, it can mean box, chest, coffin, money box, that kind of stuff. Um, right. And certainly Ark of the Covenant. Um, yeah, so it, we could have like a, a temporary one, right? A temporary yeah. box, and then it's put in the other box. But then it, but then it kind of gives you like at the end there, uh, what was it, five? Um, and there they are, as the Lord commanded me. Oh, true, true. So it's like I suppose well, it here could at be... this time they're in the ark, right? Well, that is true, but maybe they're in their box in the ark. We don't know. Sure, sure. <laughs> but anyways, they're in the ark, and there might be another. Oh. You mean? Um, so yeah, that definitely. I mean, it definitely could. There's at least two ways. So this this is how we deal with people that have objections. We want to listen clearly. Okay. So what's the objection? Well, here it says Moses built an ark. Over here it says that these other two men were used with other workers to build an ark, and Moses wasn't the builder. Is this a contradiction? Well, let's look at all of Scripture. Does all of Scripture talk in certain ways where maybe someone was responsible like Solomon and then other things? So that's one way it could be. 
And another way that we can deal with it to show that is there a possibility where this is really not a contradiction, where two words can't stand together at the same time? It's just like you said. Could this be another box? Not the ark, but a temporary box in which Moses actually did have to craft it because he was the one on the mountain. And so he crafts this, he he forms this, he puts it in the box, and they're brought down. And eventually they're put in the ark. And, and I guess uh, for me, both those things, that, that we have two possible answers, shows that the other cannot be a contradiction. So it kind of just leads us away from um, being stumbled into the fact of disbelieving the scriptures, but believing them even more, that God is not lying here, and he gives us possible answers for the ways in which we should understand his word. Excellent. Well, then there's a parenthetical statement that that is written here before he talks, he continues this narrative of being on the mountain, but before that, uh, we have this parentheses from verse 6 through verse 9. I'm going to go ahead and read that. The people of Israel journeyed from Beeroth to Benajaakan to Maserah. There Aaron died, and there he was buried, and his son Eleazar ministered as a priest in his place. From there they journeyed to Gudoga, and uh, from Gudogada to Jotbatha, a land with brooks of water. At that time, Yahweh set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh, to stand before Yahweh to minister to him and to bless his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. Yahweh is his inheritance, as Yahweh your God said to him. And then in verse 10 he says, I myself stayed on the mountain as at the first time, forty days and forty nights, and Yahweh listened to me uh, that time also, and Yahweh was unwilling to destroy you. And Yahweh said to me, Arise, go on your journey at the head of the people, so that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. All right, there's still a lot to go through here. First, um, let's talk a little bit about this uh, parenthetical comment here. He's bringing up Aaron's death. Uh, why? Why here in the middle of him talking about him and on the mountain the second time? Yeah, I think first and foremost is because um, the chapter before was talking about the Lord desired um, to enact judgment against against Aaron. Aaron was the one who they called on to to form uh, the golden calf, and he he concedes to it. He allows it, and he does it. Um, so, so yeah, the anger of the Lord kindled against all the people to the point where he wanted to wipe them all out and start over, but also against Moses' own brother, Aaron. Um, and, and here, uh, uh, God had uh, saved, he had heard Moses, he had uh, um, uh, had grace and mercy on, on Aaron, and he did not kill him at that time. Uh, but now we are recording the fact that Aaron has has died. He'll be part of the generation of all of Israel and, and with Moses too, save uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb, who will die in the wilderness and not come into the promised land. It's only the next generation that will then go into the promised land. Those uh, who are not of adult age, save those two um, that will will be um, will perish in the, in the journey. 
will die in the journey. And mm-hmm. Aaron is is one. I, again, this whole this section also includes, you know, there are there are always people out there that want to uh, cause our people to stumble and to doubt, right? Um, and there's a, a, a with the place where uh, Aaron dies. And it's like, well, no, this is a, again, this isn't a contradiction either. You can, we can talk about, uh, let's use an example. I, I, I live in um, Illinois, but within Illinois, I live in Madison County. Within Madison County, I live in Edwardsville. Within Edwardsville, I'm currently in, um, uh, in a neighborhood and that neighborhood has a name too. So um, uh, the fact that one name is listed for the place where, Aaron is, has died should not lead us to stumble because there is a different place that maybe gives a a narrowing of the detail down to the exact place. This could be the location. And then that's the place. And the same thing about the, the, the moving about, um, in, um, in numbers, it lists different motion, but of course we're talking about a 40 year period. Um, so the fact that not every stop along the 40 year uh, Pentateuch, the X's and, and numbers doesn't list every day on what they did on that day of the 40 years. It has some very high points and has some very uh, important things that they recorded, but not every day is recorded. And so a different flow of uh, where they walked shouldn't cause us to stumble because we understand the vast time that they were wandering in the wilderness. So um, people of God, uh, don't let a, a, someone come alongside of us and, and cause us to quickly stumble and quickly doubt without pausing for a second. Go grab a good commentary. Go talk to your pastor. Go listen and explore these things. And, and we'll quickly see that the scriptures are um, able to withstand any challenge. Of course. I'll tell you what, on that note, we're going to take a pause. Folks, don't go anywhere in just a few moments when we get back. Pastor Shank and I will continue our discussion of Deuteronomy 10. See you on the other side. are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today, it's the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Don't forget, folks, you can contact me at pastorboo at gmail.com or on Facebook. You can also call in. You can you don't even have to come on the air. You can just leave a question if you'd like, 1-800-730-2727. Heading right back to the text, we were just uh, almost done with the first half of our chapter and with verse 10, again, it says, 
or Moses says, I myself stayed on the mountain as at the first time, 40 days and 40 nights, and Yahweh listened to me at that time also. Yahweh was unwilling to destroy you. And Yahweh said to me, Arise, go on your journey at the head of the people, so that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So it really does feel like a reset here. But I love this phrase. Now, we know a lot of the story because the Lord reveals it to us, but Yahweh was unwilling to destroy you. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it's an English issue, but in English, that's not exactly true. He was ready to destroy them. Um, I don't know. I don't want to make any hay out of it. It's just uh, Moses, if you only had this, it would almost be like Moses was like, yeah, yeah, wipe them out. And, uh, and he was unwilling to do it. But really, it's the opposite. Lord says, this is this is out of control. And Moses, of course, pleads with God based on his goodness and his covenant and his promises, which Yahweh wasn't about to forsake. But just like a good teacher or an effective parent, you know, he's he's using the emotions there to help teach Moses and the people a lesson. Yeah, and um, and he had all right to I mean, he had the right. He, he was in his rights. When we talk about rights, God has all the rights. <laughs> and he was in his right to be to start over with Moses and say, well, I kept my promise to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Moses. Um, but, uh, but he doesn't. Thankfully, thanks be to God. He, uh, he, he keeps a promise uh, made to, um, to Judah. And so he keeps that promise also to Judah and for us all and for the sake of his, his seed. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's a hard, hard word to know that uh, God's anger uh, can be kindled. Um, that God isn't uh, a pushover. He's not lax. He doesn't just um, doesn't care. He's not looking the wrong way. He's not blind. He sees it all. So um, we should, we should be mindful of our actions. We should be mindful of our sins and we should be mindful then all the more of the answer. And it's not because we finally cleaned up our act. It's not because we've really uh, buckled down this Lent and really did a really good job. Mm -hmm. uh, no, it's because of Jesus. That uh, all has a destination. The destination of Lent is the cross where it all is put to death and Easter where we are raised up anew in Christ. We have, we have victory over death. And our life, your life has a, a journey and a destination too. And yes, we will be put to death. Yes, we will die most likely unless Christ returns uh, in any way. Um, it has uh, the same destination, which is the resurrection. And we are looking forward to that, where we are raised up anew, where this, which is so um, corruptive and, and such a, a horrible oppression, the sin is such a horrible thing that we have to bear in this life, will be no more. Um, so he is telling him to, to be um, that, that Moses is going to lead, uh, lead the people and go before him. And that reminds us, right? Deuteronomy will be coming up for, for you all, uh, Deuteronomy 18, um, that there will be one like, like Moses and he will lead the people. And so, yes, we have Joshua, but there will be a different Joshua. Um, there will be the final one. There'll be Jesus. He will lead us. He leads you, goes before you into the promised land. 
in this next section that we're going to cover now, Moses, I guess in light of, uh, uh, humanly speaking, just talking God out of destroying everybody, now emphasizes what they need to do, how they should behave, uh, picking up with verse 12. And now, Israel, what does Yahweh your God require of you but to fear Yahweh your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of Yahweh, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to Yahweh your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet Yahweh set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Yahweh your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear Yahweh your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt seventy persons, and now your Yahweh your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Now that's the end of our chapter, and I didn't really want to break it up because, you know, Moses is certainly on a roll there, but it's this beautiful imagery uh, and this is a sermon, remember, folks. This actually isn't happening contemporaneously with the things going on. He's actually telling this to them as they're all sitting on the edge of the promised land. But yeah, so he says, what does Yahweh, your God, require of you? Fear, fear him, walk in his ways, do his commandments. You know, Jesus says to the woman and to all of us, you're forgiven, but then go and sin no more. He means that. Why are we so Lutherans resistant to the concept of obedience? Is it because of our our heritage? Yeah, I don't know. It, it seems like, um, but our heritage tells us, uh, as uh, Luther describes uh, and and uh, teaches the first commandment, fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Yeah, it seems like there really isn't any fear of the Lord anymore, um, even among our people. And that's really really sad. It's a, a horrible thing. Um, yeah, we, oh, you, you don't want to, you don't have to fear God. Really? It seems like it's all over scripture. It's all over scripture that we are called to fear him. And if we fear him, then you don't need to be afraid of anything else. seems like we're afraid of, we, we say, the one thing we say we don't have to be afraid of is God, but then it's like, oh, you got to be afraid of uh, this new uh, sickness or whatever, or this uh, loss of job or this uh, struggle with finances or this issue in your marriage or that, oh, be afraid of that, you know, be afraid that uh, you're not going to know how to be married. So you better do this and this and that before you're married. It's like, wait a second. It seems like we're afraid of everything else except for the one thing God says be afraid of, and it's him, fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord casts out all fear because we know who he is. And if you have him, you have all of him. You have his name 
and you have his grace and his mercy. So, yeah, this call to to fear the Lord and that, that we'd actually walk in his statutes. And it's like, well, uh, our salvation is not by our doing, Pastor. <laughs> it's like, well, no, but what are the commandments? Which of the commandments is a curse to you? Which of the commandments, if by doing them, you're worse off? right? Which of the commandments, if you do it, God is actually keeping something good for you. It's like, uh, man, we, we have become really blind leaders and blind teachers and blind children and deaf, right? That we would think that God is, oh man, God is really keeping something from me. So we're going to use scripture against itself. We are saved by grace. So I get to I get to not do the commandments. I get to not fear his name. I get to do whatever I want to do because in the end, I want to be God. And he's like, no, throughout all time and all eternity, I am the Lord, your God. I am the one who brought you out of slavery. And the same thing is true for us in the new covenant. I am the Lord, your God. I am the one who laid down my life for you on Calvary. I am the one who has authority to call it up. You shall have no other gods before me. And so we should need, we need to walk in that and know that there is, there is a blessing to follow his commandment. There's a blessing in not stealing. There is a blessing to be faithful to your wife. There is a blessing in not coveting because your heart will always be with the Lord. Now, are we going to do that? And are we good? I mean, Moses, we're, we're about to end the, as you said, there's our different uh, sermons, right? We're about to end the first sermon uh, tomorrow and then we'll head into the next. By the time you get to the end, Moses is like, you're not going to do it. <laughs> you have <been> taken <laughs> off into captivity. You're not going to do it. Um, so we, should, like, we should end our sermons that way. It's like, hey, well, before I give you the peace of the Lord, just so you know, I know none of you are listening. <laughs> no, you uh, are gonna, but no, but that's because yeah. God reveals to him the heart of the people. Yeah. Yeah. And we, in, in a way, if we are just preaching the law, you could not end your sermon, but at some point in your sermon, say, you're not going to do this. Right. You're not going to be the righteous person that God calls for. <laughs> you're not. And if you are caught up to think that your place in heaven is because you are, you got another thing coming, right? You, you need to hear the word of the Lord that we are all fallen. We are all sinful. And we are saved, all of us, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah, that, that word for Moses catches us all, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it does here too, um, but not in a way that we then lax the law or uh, shun the law or act like the law of God is bad. I mean, where did that happen to us? That we actually act like the law is bad. Yes, the law will always condemn and always kills in the sense of a second use of the law, but it it is the will of God. And the will of God is always good and right too, right? Um, so yeah, we, we need to do some re um, rethinking and, and do some better preaching and better teaching of what it is to have the will of God. And the will of God is good. It is good that you should love each other. It is good that we should love him above all things. It is good. You mentioned uh, lex semper accusat, which is the law always accuses. Yeah, it does, but that's not a fault with the law. That is as a result <laughs> of us. Um, and another thing, too, these people, if we really want to get into the sanctification justification debate. These people are faithful believers in God. It, it never occurred to them really not to be. So they, they understand that this isn't about salvation. This is how do they live out 
the reality that they're living in, which, of course, is as God's chosen people. So it's all still there. God chose them. They didn't choose him. They believe already. Um, their faith, they're saved by the same reason we are, and that is faith and trust in God's salvation through the coming Messiah. Of course, we know that he has come. But what I really wanted to emphasize is how you said, <laughs> what by what commandment by doing it will actually give us, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but will actually harm us in any way, won't bless us. And that's true. The world thinks of things like uh, chastity, right? right? Don't commit adultery as something that's keeping them from something. And you know what? I guess in a way it is, but what it's giving you is so much greater, and God knows that. And the same goes for the rest of the commandments. Uh, one thing I wanted to illustrate about how we've domesticated God you know, fear just means awe and respect. Well, yes, it does mean that in light of who God is, but fear actually also means uh, fear. <laughs> it, it's it's an actual word. <laughs> um, Jesus talks about, you know, don't be afraid of the one who can hurt the body, but the one who can send both body and soul into hell. But people don't like that God that they have to be responsible to. So I was this was just a clip. But And I'll sanitize it a little bit, but it was a clip from a, a podcast, and there was a woman who is in the adult film industry, a young lady, about 21 maybe. And the other person who I perceived was a Christian says to her, I notice you have a cross around your neck. Do you wear that cross when you're engaged in making adult films? And uh, she said, oh, yeah, of course I do. I never take it off. And he says, do you think that adult films is something that God wants you to be doing. And she kind of stuttered and stumped and then said, well, God loves everybody. And he said, well, if God is okay with you doing that, what would Satan want you to do? And she thought about it and she said, well, I guess Satan would want me to stop doing pornography because that's what I want to do. And God loves me and he wants me to do what I want. That's a paraphrase of that whole situation. So here the enemy on this poor girl has worked in her heart to literally deceive her into calling good, bad and bad evil. I, well, <laughs> evil, good and good evil is what I meant to say. Like she literally thinks that the godly thing is to do whatever you want. And it's only Satan that wants to keep her from doing what she wants. And, and, yeah. and that is, I think, and the only reason I bring it up is because I think that's what's infected a, a lot of our society. Yeah. And that, I mean, it, it does connect us right to verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart uh, and be no longer stubborn. How stubborn is that? When the, the word of God is put right before your eyes, it's so clear, right? Not just with this sin, but all sins. And when we have the sin, let's just make it pride, right? Mm -hmm. We have the pride where I want, I, I am it. I'm it. I'm all. And it's like, no, it shouldn't Jesus be all? Shouldn't we listen? No, Jesus loves me, loves me so much that I will be greater than him. Like, okay, we need we need to be, we need a circumcision of our hearts. And that leads us into understanding baptism and, and Colossians chapter two, where we have a circumcision of our heart, and it's called baptism, not made by our hands. It wasn't done by you. Um, this poor girl who has been so deceived by the world and every boy who is uh, encouraging her to do so, right? Mm -hmm. uh, laying aside what they should be doing in honor of God in defense of the neighbor. And we have one who has washed us clean and made her clean. And one who has called us to understand that our, our life is not 
in our doing, but we we are called into a new to have a new heart and to receive that heart, not to return back to stubbornness, not to return back to be stiff, turned away from God, but to to remain new that has new ears and a new heart to hear and to receive. How often has it been since you've gone through um, Deuteronomy where it says, listen, right? The great Shema, mm-hmm. right? And and not just, just that one spot where it says, listen, but throughout. I was just listening to a couple uh, chapters uh, getting ready, you know, listening to him again and again. And it's like, oh man, he says, listen a lot. And how often it's like, um, I guess on one side, we don't want to just listen and then turn away from it. It's like, oh, that's a good word. I'm going to go the other way. No, we want to listen. If we if we want to actually listen, we listen and then we follow. We can say it's obey. We can say it's do. But, you know, in, in another way, it's, it's just simply taking up that cross of listening, taking up that cross of being, taking up that cross of belonging and saying, yeah, I'm going to follow you in this. I'm going to follow your word because your word is greater than my words. Too often it's like, but my words are equal or better or whatever. It's so great. The craziness of our sins uh, never ceases to amaze. Moses says, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Um, He will later say in Deuteronomy 30, and Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. It really is a both and. But this idea of, of... it comes up again in Acts chapter 7 when the martyrs, the first martyr, uh, Stephen, is preaching or giving his proclamation. And he says in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Uh, so taking all this, of course, together, to circumcise the foreskin of your heart, therefore, is about, as you were saying, following Jesus, but essentially you know, it, it they were keeping the law in terms of God tells them right. to do this, but were they were they keeping the law out of a desire, out of a true fear of the Lord, or well, because that's just what you're supposed to do? Uh, and, and I think that Stephen is talking to a bunch of Jews who had uh, undoubtedly perfectly kept the law of circumcision because that was the entrance into the kingdom, and yet. He, he recalls, in fact, in this, his whole sermon is recalling most of Deuteronomy 10 here, and he recalls this very incident. Yeah, but they don't actually believe. <laughs> it's like, right. you, uh, or you're believing in your actions, or you're believing in your genealogy, right? Uh, long lists of, of names, and because I'm a descendant of this person. Well, if you really were a child of Abraham, right? The whole John 8, and um, where are we, the... God, God wants more than just your hands. God wants more than just your eyes. God wants more than just your lips. God wants more than just your feet. He wants more than just your outward obedience. He wants your whole heart. And when he's got your heart, uh, then he's got all of you. Because um, where your heart is there, your treasure will be also. That, that we would treasure him. That we would desire him. And yes, throughout the season of Lent and throughout our lives, we will stumble and fall. But when the heart has turned to the Lord, a heart will always, will always know that the answer to my stumbling, the answer to my falling has been found in Christ. He is it. He's all I want. He's, he's everything. When the Lord is everything, um, then it's, it, it changes all the outward actions, right? It changes everything. Then there is something that actually pleases the Lord. Our confession of our sin pleases the Lord. Our confession of what he has done pleases the Lord. But if we're just singing just to sing, if we're just 
going through the motions, well, the, the minor prophets really rail against that. <laughs> really, The word of the Lord really rails against just going through the motions. That is the lukewarm that he spits from his mouth. Do not do that. But, in uh, in the last few the last few minutes we have of the show, I want to focus on God's concern for the sojourner. This happens, this pops up throughout Scripture. It, it pops up here almost as an aside. Uh, Moses is going on about how God is the God of all gods, Lord of all lords. He's great. He's mighty. He's awesome. You know, he's over and against all the so-called gods of the nations. He executes justice for the fatherless, the widow, right? So orphans and widows are another protected class, so to speak, from the Bible. But he loves the sojourner. He gives him food and clothing. And so Moses says, love the sojourner, therefore, because, of course, they were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Uh, my midweek sermon series that I just kind of put together myself is on this idea of being sojourners in this world, in but not of it. Uh, we are all sojourners. Yes, they were sojourners in Egypt, enslaved. We are sojourners in this world. This isn't the last stop for us. Uh, I, I, that's how I see the importance of sojourners and taking care of them is, uh, what else might we take from the fact that he's emphasizing this take care of sojourners? Yeah, I think I think we have been called out, uh, so called out of a foreign land, and we have been made citizens of a new land. Um, so your citizenship is with, with Christ in the new kingdom, which comes in the resurrection. So you've got a, you've got a uh, passport, a citizenship there by your baptism. And so as we're walking about, it's not to make the, the scriptures subjected to uh, uh, political, you know, uh, parties and all. Let's just set that all aside for a minute. Set all of the election stuff aside for a minute. There are people that are passing through your life right now, walking through your life right now, sojourning in this foreign land. And, and they need to be brought into a new land, a, a land that is flowing with the milk and honey of God's grace and mercy, of the love of God for them. That's what they need to hear. And they receive that from you. God is calling on us to love them and to love them as we have been loved all in Christ Jesus. So, yeah, this this uh, chapter is, is dripping, uh, dripping with Jesus and dripping with the mercy of God. Um, so, yeah, we, we could... Um, we could make it about uh, our current political situation, or we could make it about something more. We can make it about um, the fact of our eternal state and your neighbor who actually needs to hear from you. And not just hear it from your lips, but receive it from your gracious hands, uh, love of Christ. I think that's a perfect way to end our program this morning. So, folks, I'd like to thank my guest. He's been the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Brother, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. God's peace on your uh, Lenten time. Yes, you too. Hey, folks, uh, tomorrow I'm joined by the Reverend Jake. Nope, not tomorrow. Pardon me. Tomorrow's Wednesday, and it is Lent, so we'll be preempted. But Thursday, I'm joined by the Reverend Jacob Herkamp. Uh, we're going to pick up with the next chapter, of course, chapter 11, wherein Moses paints a vivid contrast between the land of Egypt with its dependence on human irrigation and the promised land, a place watered by the heavens. Moses implores Israel to love and obey God wholeheartedly, and he promises blessings of abundance and security if they do. He warns that consequences await if they turn away, but reassures them that God's eyes are always watching over the land. So until Thursday, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.